Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business so you as a business can achieve your vision. And today, I don't think it gets much more cutting edge than this. This is actually part two of an episode, which we'll leave links in the show notes for that we recorded from one of our agency calls at Tier 11. And this is one that I was not on. I actually couldn't make it. I forget why I wasn't on, but uh, this was mostly our media buyers, a couple of our creative team people, our data tracking folks, as well as some of the folks that help out on sales support and do a lot of our analyses for brand new customers. I mean, going through this recording myself, I counted at least 17 absolutely killer tips, especially if you are a meta advertiser, you've got to listen to this thing. So if you're in the weeds doing this day in and day out, definitely listen to this call. The names of the customers and so forth will be blotted out just for confidentiality purposes. However, most importantly, if you're a VP of marketing or a director of marketing, I wouldn't recommend listening to this show unless you are in the weeds, but I would send this to your team because it addresses so many things that are going on right now with regard to meta advertising. And like I said, the reason why we do this show and we think that we're bringing some value every single week is because we spend so much on these platforms. Obviously, Costum's team spends a tremendous amount on Google. We now spend almost as much on Google as we do on meta, but we spend over $100 million a year on meta advertising. As a result of that, we have a lot of media buyers and a lot of insights as to what's working, what's not working. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because that's a statement of fact. So we get into some of the things that you probably don't even realize are potential ways for you to optimize your campaigns. Stuff like comparing 28-day versus 90-day conversion windows, using offline conversions, how to integrate custom events. I don't think we've talked about custom events on perpetual traffic in a year or two. We also talk a little bit about uh, ways to get around the iOS 17 UTM stripping, which we will leave links in the show notes. We had a call with Scott from Wicked Reports on that one. So go back and listen to that episode if that's problematic for you. We also talk about some ways in which you can hack around it on this call from some of our media buyers. Big insights on Wicked Reports, which obviously we use almost exclusively here. And then on the side of some of the Advantage campaigns, like a lot of people have poo-pooed the Advantage Plus shopping campaigns saying they don't work. Well, Advantage Plus campaigns are the future of meta advertising, and you've got to get on board and understand how they work. And we will give you some highly technical expertise. Like I said, 
if you're not a media buyer, if you're not in the weeds doing this every single day, it's okay. I think you can get a lot from this episode. But if you're at a higher level, have your team listen to this episode because the stuff we talk about with advantage audiences, advantage catalog, advantage shopping are absolutely essential for you to get the results that you want out of the meta ad platform. We also touch on TikTok ads and I can use those as a testing ground for meta and then a lot of specifics on TikTok at the end of this call here today. And then we talk about text and the importance of text, but not where you think text is important, as well as AI tools that we're now using in our media buying strategies. So make sure that you do check us out over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. We release each show simultaneously on YouTube. So check that out, perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. You can actually see some of the faces of some of the media buyers inside tier 11. We're going to get a lot more out of it. We also do some some screen sharing on this episode. So without further ado, here are 17 plus killer tips from the best media buyers on the planet. Take a listen, enjoy, and let us know what you think about this format. We can do this on a regular basis. If you like it, definitely leave some comments, especially on the YouTube channel. We'd love to know what you think. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So let's get started. So this call is going to be a bit more tactical. We'll get into the meat of sharing any wins, any learnings, what's working now. There's nothing specific that we're looking for, just something that you think would be beneficial to anyone on the call, but also the wider agency. I will make an effort of stitching together this discussion with the other ones and collating all the discussions so that we can make sure that we share all the learnings and, and everything that's been discussed. Let's have a chat. Let's dive deep into some knowledgeable tips and tricks that we can share with one another. 
I have one yeah. around some tracking. If I jump in first, it's more of a change than an update or like a what's working. It's regarding offline conversions. So think lead gen. You got a lead gen customer. They have form fills on the website, phone calls, but predominantly they're kind of key conversions happen behind the scenes and they're marked in a CRM. So we want to, a lot of the time, we want to send that information back to a Facebook pixel. And in the past, we've been sending it to like a dedicated offline pixel. And you could see these kind of custom events or conversions within Facebook Ads Manager, but you couldn't do anything with them. And back in May, it might have been a little bit more recently, Facebook ended up archiving the old offline conversion system. And they kind of migrated to a different system where you send these offline events directly to a standard pixel. And kind of the the key difference here is you can actually optimize for these events and you have better visibility over them as well at a campaign level. So there's been a few changes there over the last couple of months. And we tested this recently for Credit Associates and it worked quite well. We've got leads hitting the CRM being sent back to the pixel that can be optimized for. And there's events that happen after that where they pull a credit report and we can send that information optimized for that as well. So it seems to be working quite well at a pixel level and you can actually optimize for it as well. It's a little bit more of an FYI. If you've got lead gen clients, just something to think about. That's a good update, JJ. Mm-hmm. I remember I think we were right in the midst of it when we kind of figured out yeah. that transition. So it definitely made a big impact switching to the standard pixel. Not in terms of performance yet, but in terms of all the things you were talking about with visibility, you know, seeing it in the campaigns and so forth. Something that I learned from you was I didn't know, I think, last year that you couldn't view custom events in your standard ads manager column views. And so you'd mentioned to me about creating the custom conversion that's based on the custom event and then you've got the visibility. And because I hadn't, I'd always had the custom conversions or standard events and then more extensive use of custom events, like modified standard events, I guess you could call them. Just getting familiar with how to pull that data into your view. Yeah, it's kind of uh, counterintuitive, right? You send a custom event to Facebook and then you have to create a custom conversion for actually to be able to see it in yeah. an ads manager. Yeah, because um, remember when you it, first mentioned yeah. that to me, I was like, that sounds weird. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, it works. doesn't right. make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the only caveat at the moment I guess, is the I guess 30 you can day. do that now that there's more events. We used to do that, but then you could only have eight events, right? So is that something that's opened up back now because the events have opened up or the hierarchy or whatever? Are you aware? Like with the iOS iOS changes that they made? I think you you can still select X amount of events, but there's still like one or two that end up being the primary conversions. But you can select those custom events as your primary. So you don't have to kind of be stuck with the standard events. Mm-hmm. per se. Um, yeah, I used to use cat- for products, for product categories. So like we'd have green juice, red juice, this juice, this. And then when you had ads coming in, if people were buying totally off product, you could glean a lot of information about what people were buying and whether or not your ads were really working or just getting like a bunch of fake conversions on it. Yeah, right. Was that using custom conversions, Jenny? With um, yeah, so like you, parameters or, yeah. or custom events to the standard pixel? So we had a custom conversion event that was if a purchase occurs with these product numbers, label it this, and then yep. you have to create a custom conversion. So it created the freaking column. So yeah, you could see it. <laughs> so yeah. you had to create and yep. if then you got more SKUs or whatever. But yeah, we did it for categories of products, which was actually really enlightening because we had some ads that were doing really great when you looked at full full conversions. But the company was like, dude, this product launch has done really terrible. And I was like, really? Because the 
CPA and the ads are like really good. And then I looked closer and I was like, oh yeah, none of them are buying the product that we're advertising. You're offering. Yeah. Yeah. I did that because we were doing sales on ClickBank, but I was like, dude, you're totally getting sales on the Shopify store for the things that we're running. And they're like, oh, bullshit. And I said, okay, well, these are chocolate ads. And look, what they're buying in, in Shopify is chocolate. And these are gold ads. And oh, these are buying the gold. And so it was a really nice way. But I thought after the iOS changes, you couldn't do that anymore. So I didn't know you could do it again. That's awesome. That's really cool. Actually. Yeah. And w- one thing I heard through the grapevine as well, the issue we had was the actual conversion window being 28 days. And a lot of the conversions happened outside of that time frame. And I've heard through the grapevine, I can't remember where now, but the meta is supposedly opening up that to 90 days. So you should oh, be able to for optimization. optimize. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure when it's That's going to be rolled out, but that, yeah, because that was our biggest headache, Daniel, was the conversion window, right? A lot of the conversions happened outside of that, and we couldn't rely on sending those events back for optimization. Yeah. So yeah. Dan's managing those campaigns. The one that is being tested at the moment is the earlier funnel stage, so the held event, which you'd set up as well, JJ. So Ralph had actually met with them in person and said, you should be optimizing for the final conversion, the closed client, what they call engaged converted. But that was the one, like you mentioned, where it falls often well outside the 28-day window. So we're trying held first up. Then the lead cost with that is comparable at the moment, right? Like in terms of compared to optimizing for leads, I think it's similar. Yeah, the lead cost is similar. CPMs are a little bit higher, but lead cost is pretty similar. Yeah, so it's kind of in testing phase at the moment just being conservative while it costs a little bit more and seeing how that plays out. So Jay, that one is within the 28-day window. Yeah. 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 Out of curiosity, the the 90-day, did you hear that like in the online community or from someone internally or? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like Chinese whispers. Someone mentioned it then someone, Kobe mentioned it to someone, someone mentioned it to me and now I'm mentioning it to all of you. So I don't know where the source actually came from. (laughs) All right. Kobe's got his feels out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Kobe didn't tell me directly, someone else didn't, I can't remember who now. (laughs) Cool. Stay tuned. I was going to ask Eric, but I have that kind of a tracking little addendum interesting thing with the new iOS 17. And I was trying to ask Eric if it was like a special plugin that they built or something like that to do it. But for those with the technical know-how, you can actually generate UTMs that are just don't use UTM, that don't use like Wicked. It's a code? But well... So like Wicked has Wicked ID, right? Instead of whatever UTM, right? They don't use the UTM little prefix on it. It's like Wicked something, right? Mm -hmm. So as far as we know, it's specifically GCLID, FCLID, and UTMs that are stripped by the new iOS. And it absolutely 100% is intended to screw over Facebook and Google. It's restricted to that. My husband, with what they're doing, they have a lot of forms and stuff. And the forms have just a ton of data that hidden fields that get entered based on what campaign things come in. In their CRM, they have a ton of detailed information about people and they do surveys on the way in and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, what are you going to do with the UTMs? Well, they, I guess, saw this coming years ago. So they have their own, basically, UTM. I forget what they called it. Wicked ID would be the equivalent. And those are not going to get stripped out with iOS 17. So if you're on particularly... I was asking my husband, but he didn't reply to me. I was like, did you build the plugin to be able to do that? But because they keep all the data server side and you're allowed to basically do all that, is that 
they're going to be like completely unaffected because they're just not going to use UTM campaign equals. It's going to be like wicked campaign equals, right? Apple has to actually seek your specific UTM construct out in order for it to be removed. Okay. Is that a key part of the wicked implementation and for what Jenny described is like... Well, wicked already did that like a long time ago. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking more so of like with the conversation around getting more clients onto Wicked. There's obviously multiple reasons like viewing beyond the attribution window we can see on the platforms and all that kind of thing. But the fact that that Wicked ID doesn't get stripped is... As long as Apple doesn't know about them and intentionally... Because at any point they could come and be like, oh, that's going to now be stripped. But when I was reading about it, it initially almost sounded like everything after the question mark was going to get destroyed. And I was like, that's terrible because... That's how you do variants on products, and that's how you do these other yeah. things. How would they know? Like what they're stri- they're going to take literal functionality out of the websites and stuff like that. But it turns out that it's like FBQ, GCLID, and UTM are the three that I know of. So, for example, we use the Infusionsoft UTM code to suck in the campaign and creative and stuff like that, so that we can go in and just dissect like what audiences people came in because we have no other way of looking at revenue and being able to take any revenue back to the ads. And so as far as I know, that one's not getting stripped, but we'll see when it's implemented, like if it is, but there's ways like they built a plugin specifically for gravity forms for their lead stuff so that they could keep all the information. They haven't created it, let's say for WooCommerce or anything yet, but it's a trick. If you have the technology know-how capability, you can bypass basically a lot of that issue, which if you rely heavily on email, all the tracking for email is almost via UTM. So it's a way particularly to get around it as an idea of might require some development, but for bigger companies, it might end up being totally worth it. Yeah, that's good to know. Creative mm-hmm. and audience in the contact record. In yeah, and so, so you do all your reporting for, through Infusionsoft. Yeah, it's all their whole business is basically like after the lead, every, almost everything is happening kind of via email. And so quarterly... I go in and just take an accounting of this because their particular situation is lead. And then within like 14 days, you might become a buyer of step one. And anywhere from 30 to a year later, you then buy one of the high ticket things. And so you need to wait a lot of time. And so it's really nice for that. So quarterly, I go in and I look at what audiences led to the best front end sales and then like where's the money really coming in at the back end and then it's slow but as far as i know that one is also not disappearing with ios 17 so but i don't know like for shopify if there's like any solution to not having utms i think you're kind of screwed (laughs) just little tech and tracking tricks yeah thank you (laughs) i was like who's leading this meeting (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that's not me. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Someone else take the microphone. Done my pace. <laughs> How <about> you guys. <laughs> Any good tidbits from the early morning one? This morning, there was a lot of conversation about performance max. And as I'm, I probably shouldn't be the person relaying this as the least digital marketer person. It was on the Facebook side talking about the lifetime ad budget versus... Andrew, you're going to have to help me here. Bailey. Stay good. Performance max. 
Yeah. Lifetime budget on short-term campaigns versus long. I forget the other I'm not word. The, I'm not the person to ask on Pmax and Google. <laughs> sorry, it's not my specialty. Oh, uh, sorry, not performance, Max. I'm sorry. Advantage Plus. Advantage Plus. Okay. Lifetime value short campaigns having better performance than performance max over a longer campaign period with a set spend. I think was the lifetime budget on Advantage Plus meta yeah. campaign. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot. That's of interesting. Versus that. daily budget. Apparently, there was some discussions about how a really short lifetime on Advantage Plus was getting much higher performance than a daily budget over time. Daily budget. Ah, okay. That's a good tip to test. Interesting. Hopefully with the same exclusion categories, because I find that most of the people who were like all the rage over these Advantage campaigns weren't excluding existing buyers. And so, yeah, if you don't exclude existing buyers, then I'm not surprised you have a way better CPA. So I don't actually think all the hype about those Advantage campaigns are real. Besides for DPAs, I've turned all of them off. None of them with actual real exclusions have actually performed better than a standard sales campaign in my hands. So We have had good results with them compared to the standard campaigns, but that, I don't think that is resting solely on the campaign model. It could be to do with other variables as well. Yeah. But they have been stronger than standard ABO campaigns with customer exclusions in place. We've had the exclusions from the beginning, but in one of the campaigns we do allow, you know how there's that once you have the exclusion set at the account settings level, then you can still say, oh, I want 10% of my budget to go to existing customers or 20. So mm-hmm. in some, we're allowing the budget to go there. But what I'm finding with the Advantage Plus is we've got a big archive of proven strong creatives. There's other accounts where the creative isn't as strong and we're kind of relying on a couple of quote-unquote unicorns or just the ones that carry the account, whereas in other accounts, we've got this breadth of strong creatives and with a lot of learning over time. You can dig right back into the archives and you can really feed in a good range of, of strong creatives. And in those instances, the performance is stronger and there's more of an even spread of delivery and impressions across a wider range of assets than we can ever get in ABO or CBO where it just keeps funneling it to the one winner or whatever. And so the struggle that has been the case the whole way along is they work with indie beauty brands where they don't get large quantities of stock. Even if Crispy and the client is planning ahead, often he can only get like 2,000 units at a time. And so we'll, we'll push something, it's strong, and then it switches off and you've got to restart all the campaigns, you know, learning phase and all that kind of thing. And with Advantage Plus, I'm actually finding that we're able to switch something off when it goes out of stock and the next winner will take the lead, but then there's it, it won't rely just on that next top, that the second in place, it'll kind of still split it. So when I'm then going, okay, this is strong in ASC and I'm trying to take that and force more budget, force more spend to it by putting it back out in an ABO with just like say two or three variations, but all going to the same tutorial product set page, the ROAS is lower, way lower. It's like Advantage Plus is more allowing for those kind of opportunistic conversions where you're not just forcing all the spend to say three three variations. And, and so that is with the exclusions in place. Different scenario, which is a seven-day time-sensitive funnel that has an evergreen deadline funnel countdown timer on it where the person comes in as an opt-in through a lead magnet three-part video series that's evergreen. They've got a seven-day countdown timer before the offer expires and the price goes up. With Advantage Plus there, we've got customers excluded. So customers being people that have purchased the 297 program in the past or people that have taken up their ongoing recurring membership. But we can't 
we could exclude leads as well, but I don't want to. Like we could exclude leads at the account setting level, like as a custom audience, but it's only customers that excluded. And so what's happening there is because we have Wicked in place, we can see really, really high re-opt-in rates. About 40% are re-engaged leads and only 60% are new leads. But the ROAS is higher because what's happening is is the, the Advantage Plus campaign is functioning kind of like a it's top of funnel acquisition level one, but then there's a decent integrated component of retargeting the email list, not just the people that are in the, the seven-day initial funnel sequence, but um, older leads that are on the list that, you know, we that might have come in a year or two years ago. And what happened there is the client at the same time introduced additional evergreen email sequences with the offer presented so that then what's happening is the Advantage Plus is working synergistically with additional email offers and they're able to buy. So even though their their seven-day time-sensitive offer has expired, they're getting and they can't go and buy it on the website. So that was a problem before with retargeting because they can't send them anywhere, deadline funnels expired and all that kind of thing. But because they're being sent to this offer that isn't locked via email and then they're seeing it on Advantage Plus as well, then we're able to get stronger ROAS there. So it's kind of like what you're saying there, Jenny, which is like the ROAS is higher, not because it's retargeting existing customers, but because it's retargeting existing leads as well as acquiring new ones. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at it in Wicked going, hey, a lot of this budget's going to re-engaging existing leads, but the client's actually satisfied with that because it's generating more revenue kind of thing. So that that might not work in other instances, but in that particular business model, it, it is um, a positive thing, not just a kind of like, you know, inflated ROAS type of thing. Yeah, I found that ROAS and the and the um, and the CPA to be higher with it. What, what type of products or model is it? Something pet snacks. Web pet snacks. Okay. And we have okay. a very large. I would say equivalent. Probably, actually, I'm sure we do a lot better at at refreshing creatives and like finding winners. It's not the case of like really strong creatives that you know were kind of at some level still performing, let's say throughout the account. And we were like, oh, let's take those and put them in. So we did it for like two months. And I mean, the difference in spend in that period of time. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just didn't quite. Well, when I first set it up, I didn't realize you had to have the exclusion at the ad set level to tell it literally that like, do not spend any money on existing customers, like, which would be the same level of exclusion that we would use for the other stuff. And that's because we yeah. have an intro offer. We don't want existing customers to buy right. a sample, a variety sample pack. <laughs> right, right, right. We want new people yeah. to buy a variety sample pack and then we want the regular people to do, you know, yeah. buy. The, so the use really is important, isn't it? Yeah, the exclusion, like, yeah, it's... Don't, it's a loss leader for us, really. But yeah, I mean, it was significant enough where I was like, well, I could take that $1,000 a day that I had in the Advantage campaign and get like $5 lower CPA and a 15% higher ROAS. And it was just over like week over week over week over week. I just saw them like not. Same thing. But if you didn't put that zero can be spent on existing buyers, then it was like, oh yeah. All to buyers. Great. <laughs> the people are like, yeah, I want to get this. And we're like, no, we don't want you to buy it. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a really good discount (laughs) but interestingly cpms were lower the click cost was lower so the conversion rate was lower (laughs) Uh you know (laughs) 
So all the or, or I would say it's the other way around. <laughs> As Andrew's heard me say many times, when the conversion rate is lower, Facebook's like, all right, fair enough. We'll yeah. give you a bit of a cut on that. Yeah. And there was almost, money, okay, we'll bump it up. <laughs> almost a hundred percent overlap between the two. So I'm just looking at the data for those two months. 1.9 million people reached in the regular campaign. And it was 789,000 reached in the Advantage campaign, but only 2 million reached total combined. So 100% overlap between the people that were in it, essentially. It was only only 200,000 people more. Like out of the the near 800,000 people that it reached, 200,000 of them were not reached in the regular campaign. I was like, it's not even really hitting different people. I don't really know. I just killed it because I was like, I'd rather spend that extra thousand dollars doing something that's a little bit more productive. Yep. I saw Amanda Bond. Do you guys know of Amanda Bond or follow her at all? I don't follow her. I know of her. You know of her? Yeah. She posted a few days ago saying Advantage Plus audience is fire. Then I was reading the comments below and people saying, no, it's not. Yes, it is or whatever. And like everyone having a debate about it. And then I realized that what she was referring to, because I was reading her responses back to people saying, no, it's not good and all that kind of thing. And I realized what she was referring to is using the Advantage Plus audience outside of Advantage Plus campaigns. And then I've looked at it in each of the accounts that Dan and I manage. It's in some, but not others. And so what I realized is at first I couldn't see when we did have access to it or not, because if you're duping ad sets, and switching your settings, you don't see it come up. You only see it when you click create new ad set. And so we have it in some and not others. I think I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but one of the reasons that I was thinking, oh, maybe you can get a benefit from that is because you can still put in place tighter exclusions. Like you can just layer in all your exclusions that are specific to what you're offering and what you're trying to do with that campaign and cost caps because we need cost caps a lot of the time because they're very strict on the one day CPA. So I think I should just dig up the documentation on that advantage plus audience where it says like it's available in everything outside of advantage plus so i'm wondering if what you're saying jenny if some people are just finding like oh hey you know this is not better than my business as usual campaigns if that's something separate worth testing as well because you can put so many additional layers to it in there yeah i did Um, find the dpa was good though like i never had a broad dpa campaign do well before so i did find yeah that the Advantage catalog, like when you do the Advantage catalog at the campaign level, not an Advantage campaign where you do the catalog at the ad set or the ad level. But when you... You found that was better? I would otherwise not be running a DPA to cold traffic. Right. Okay. I, yeah, because the, that has had never done well for us. You know, I think at some level, it's probably this somewhat lack of the tighter exclusions. But at the same time, there's no intro products in it. So I'm okay with Uh, overlap with existing buyers. I'm okay with it because it's not a one-time purchase type product that we're doing. So... Because like if they... If the people see it, they totally go and buy it because it's like a really good deal. Right. No. That's what I would do if I was a customer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. UK has TikTok shops option as well. So they yeah. did set that up themselves on their end, but they're dabbling for now. They've, they've got more of a focus on trying to get 
YouTube ads up and running. They're working on editing that, but they are editing their reels and publishing consistently on TikTok as kind of like the crossover with their... Yeah. What we found is if you do a little bit of paid, it actually helps you find those unicorn videos really quick. And that's what we've been doing is like we have just a small... I think it's like $250 a day, whereas like what we're doing on Facebook is four or $5,000 a day. So like, it's just a small little, almost 100% of the people coming in from TikTok are like brand new, interestingly. Almost all of them are converting on the first. Yep. We're not, this know, is we're, for the pet snacks. Yeah. You get a winning video on TikTok. It probably lasts like two to three weeks. If you're going to keep that TikTok campaign going, mm-hmm. you got to really invest in creators and keep the creators flowing. But man, every time we get something crush on TikTok, it's like a unicorn on Facebook that lasts can last over six months. We're actually... Oh, so it doesn't last long on TikTok, but when you transfer it over to Meta, so you get your learnings on TikTok fast and you can run that way longer on Mm -hmm. Meta. Okay. Yeah. 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 In this particular, it's because it's TikTok in Australia, right? Like how many people are there legitimately there? Like you can't just keep, you can't just keep raise the budget because there's like not that many people because it's only in Australia, right? That we're running that. Ah, Um, okay. Ah, okay. Right. So of course you wouldn't be able to scale a lot in Australia on TikTok anyways, but man, we haven't had something that did really good on TikTok that didn't just freaking crush. And so what I've been doing is, and and I feel like this counteracts some of the issues that you get with creative testing on Facebook, because I like to start creative testing before stuff goes off. But the problem is I don't want to then take those good new videos that I have found and put them in to the circulation when I haven't burnt out what I've already got, because then the life cycle of everything just gets reduced. I want to yeah. have some good videos in my pocket. Once you upload them to Facebook, the countdown clickers on. It doesn't matter if you're using it or not. It's like, or at least that's my theory. Until it fatigues, you mean? Yeah. If you use something for a month at a super low level, and then you're like, all right, I'm ready to scale this sucker. It's, it's not going to be as effective as if you take the brand new ad and scale it immediately. While it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. And so that allows us to have some kind of in our pocket. <laughs> and we ha- it hasn't failed us that something that performed really well on TikTok has, has done well. And that might be in part because most of the people are brand new and most of the people convert on the first click. And so this is finding something that's going to get people like, you know, we're getting a lot of people on Facebook. We have such a bigger audience, right? Retargeting is more effective and all this other stuff's more effective. So you can, I think, really get it going that way. But definitely for creative testing, it's been really, really nice to run things like kind of through TikTok because you get an instantaneous answer. What videos are good and which ones aren't. And the other trick is, is you load them vertically. So you do not create a 5.4 video or a 1.1 video. You load them 9 by 16 and you just make sure that none of the important text is masked when it turns into 5.4 because then that allows on one single ad unit that is not a DCO to run on stories, reels, and everything. When we've done the DCO with like more kind of those have not done as good. And I don't know why, but they haven't. Having the 9 by 16 created. Asset customized ones. Yeah. Okay. The asset customization for images has been kicking ass for me lately. But the asset customization for video isn't. And I wonder if it's because the video itself probably gets some data put onto it as far as like watching and stuff. I don't know. 
TikTok gives you more data as well. So if you want to iterate videos, if you're like, oh, it actually tells you where people click and where those people click. If those people that like, so actually what we found out is the people that click at the end of the video don't purchase. It's the people that click at the beginning of the video that purchase. So we're like, oh, it'd be really smart in the first 30 seconds. The CTA almost doesn't matter. Hmm. What was the question? Yeah, a couple of questions. Do you redeploy any of these assets that you found winning originally on TikTok after Facebook or Meta over to YouTube at all? So we haven't. And that's in part because in this particular account where we have all these really awesome assets, we're not advertising on YouTube. Right. And so (laughs) I think I would absolutely want to try that because I think the vertical video units in YouTube is getting better performance, but I don't have any data to support that. But I would, if we were advertising on YouTube, we would be testing it, but we're yep, not. Yep. Are there, do you have any strategies or techniques in terms of how you maybe create different variations of once you found a winning video? Do you look to elongate that in which you might say, test out, cut out like the first like three to five seconds of the video, change a different hook, but kind of let it let it keep going. Do you so play around with things that, that we have, have voiceovers? So we will try a couple of different voices. And actually, that makes a difference, amazingly yep. enough, particularly on TikTok, which is more of an auditory, like TikTok and Reels are way more auditory than Facebook newsfeed. So we've done that. What we've done is changing the caption style. Yep. That makes the video look sort of new. But yep. we do also normally kind of change a little bit the video that's maybe because it's a voiceover and it's not somebody talking face to camera. It's literally dogs gnawing on stuff, right? <laughs> like, so we'll take a good script and we'll change the dog. Yes. Because for some reason, the white little fluffy dogs are catnip. We had a freaking... German Shepherd and that dog sucked. <laughs> but it makes sense because people with the little white poofy dogs are the ones that are going to like really have, you know, ones carrying them around in a purse are going to have <laughs> different shopping behavior than like maybe somebody with a working dog. So obviously, like, we're like, hey, that script though, it actually did quite well. And we're like, what if I changed the dog? And it was like, boom. So yeah. those are things you can kind of do. So save dogs. We tend to have the hook on a call, on a text call out or something in that very beginning of the video. And then we've tried changing the styles of them just to kind of keep the video fresh, changing the voiceovers and stuff, but certainly altering the actual, let's say, just even order a little bit of the video or start, you know, that helps a lot. Would you have like a permanent in-video text above the video at all? or and, And do you change out that messaging above for that to try different, like headline? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I suppose uh, people have got different found, names for it. <laughs> I have found copy to be almost irrelevant on these types of videos at this point. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. It's interesting you say that. Yeah. We've been, you know, looking for the new head of creative. Someone that I interviewed this week said something about, yeah, copy. Yeah. Well, you know, leading with copy. And I was like, not no. really. It's not how it's not really how it works anymore. How many people do you know that read long form copy? And I was like, if you're on TikTok, pfft, who cares? Yeah. It's, it's almost irrelevant. It's such a bitch to read that anyways. <laughs> yeah, totally. James said that he was testing copy and I was like, dude, you crazy. I don't yeah. think that matters at all. <laughs> People are not on there to read stuff. But even on Facebook, I tell you this right now, although I do have to say it's really, really strong copy. I've never changed the copy on a single ad. And I've been running that for over a year. The copy is irrelevant. 
Len needs to be listening here. Len's, Len's like, the copy's irrelevant. We want your <laughs> opinion like, no, as a but it's, really, it's really strong copy. Be controversial. And it really, jump in. But, but Len leaves the chat. That's been my experience. <laughs> I, I wonder if it is a, a thing of like different industries and things like that because yeah. it's oh, because yeah. I, I see it quite differently. Like it kind of got one winning asset at the moment where kind of repurpose it in different ways of cut it out cut it out in different ways but then changed their headline that shows like on top of the video not actually in the mm-hmm. copy on meta but actually in the video and it's able to reach more because it's going out to a different audience who's specifically looking for that so like the text edited onto the video yeah it's not the copy it's the text in the video that, that makes just, a difference mm, absolutely yeah, yeah. Makes a difference yeah. Sure. yeah in the video is different i'm talking about yeah. external yeah. Copy. yeah i'm talking about in the video yeah sorry mm. that's the the script matters. The script yes. matters. I think the text callouts matter, but I've just found more and more increasingly on social media ads, the post copy and headline tend to be more irrelevant than anything. Or, well, yeah. let's just put this into context. They still when have to be strong, right? A little bit more. Just testing doesn't move the needle so much. Yeah. yeah. If you have copy on an ad that's doing well, you can reuse that copy with zero change and refresh 100% of the ad. Yeah. yeah. So having something that maybe is just unattractive, obviously it's not irrelevant in that sense. Particularly with these videos, the videos is what you're consuming. Like the copy above and below is irrelevant. You look at all these ads within this account. I use like two headlines. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's two freaking headlines. And I have thought like I could do a lot of testing there, but that amount of work versus getting a better video, I'm going to get that better video. Yeah. Yeah. Like where's your leverage? Where do you put your time and your testing budget? Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask also, is anyone utilizing a lot of AI in terms of uh, mid journey and what you can actually do now in terms of turning images that you take from mid journey and turning those into like videos that go for where it kind of like scopes the landscape around around it have you aware of any of that not yet i don't understand what you're saying oh well there's an ai tool now where you can take an image and what you and what 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 it does is it will create this motion image it kind of uh, has an element where part of the visual is like animated but we tried i mean we tried using ai and we found that a lot of the images that were performing had like a hand in the creative. And then when we tried to get AI to make creatives for us, it was giving them the people like six fingers and um, <laughs> things like was that. that. And before we found, with Thomas, is that yeah, why Madalena asked about was this AI when you? Made yeah, it? that's why. Yeah, that's why with um with some of the Mullen images that look a little too fairy or too good, she's like, "Is this AI?" I'm like, "No, these." <laughs> These are stock images, but yeah, so we've we've avoided AI on that account. But I did want to also jump back quickly, Jenny, to what you were saying about the voiceovers. Have you tested the voiceovers from the perspective of the pet? Because there's pet food in Australia. They have the voiceover is from the perspective of the dog, which... I think I saw you share one of those in Slack. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And to <laughs> me, it's like, it's, it's a bit bizarre, but it can perform because I kind of view it as talking to a baby in a baby voice. <laughs> but for some reason, yeah. like pet owners just, yeah, love it. So I was just going to see if that's something yeah, that we you haven't, tested. We haven't actually tried it, but it was something I was like, 
That would be really interesting. Some of the things I find the cutest and I'm a dog owner myself. So like I am the avatar. Like I am absolutely the person with an entire, my husband's even like worse. My husband is like the VIP customer. (laughs) 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 Like you can't stop him from giving the dog treats. The, some of the stuff that I find the cutest and most engaging, like absolutely doesn't sell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was when you said the white fluffy dogs, I'm like, I feel like those owners would love that kind of, that kind of yeah. ad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just don't yeah. do it in the German shepherd's voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. we, dude, we had like a new What's dog it? and it was like a King Charles Spaniel <laughs> and it was just like all of a sudden it was like a $25 CPA. You're like, whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> But this is done by creating relationships with creators and customers and getting them to record you, their dogs. So Mm. there is another aspect of it that does require, but it's like, if you actually want to grow the business, I'm working with a company that's doing coffee. It's like a really, really high-end coffee, like really specialty biohacking. the name, right? Name drop, Jenny. (laughs) No. And then, so that one is like, yeah, we don't have any relationships right now with creators. So it's like us having to create it. And that's really tough. But I was like, that's what you need to build. And like, that's obviously for companies who are like, I might be making 3 million this year, but my goal in the next few years is to get to 30 million. I was like, well, if you're going to do that, if that's really your goal, then you're going to have to build the content creators that work with you. It's not that easy but i think the way that we do it on basically anybody who buys from us gets a survey 30 days later and we ask them how it was and like ask them to post a picture of their dog so a it's leading everybody to post a review so we're racking up reviews which we feel like are really really great obviously and then we get images or videos of their dogs and if they have a cool looking dog and they make a really cool looking video then we're like, hey, would you like some free products to like make some videos of your dog? And then like relationships get established that way. And it's just constantly building that. So like you have to have a person that's going to do that. But that's a small price to pay if you want to grow your business from 3 million to 30 million, right? So I think that's what you have to do. 100%. So you got to watch those DMs and watch because people tag you. People will create TikToks and tag you in it. You're like, oh, somebody actually has to like look that stuff. And that's not me. (laughs) You got to hire somebody else to do that. But but once (laughs) you establish, I think those really take a lot of pressure off the rest of the team. Like particularly if you have a brand where you're you have a spokesperson that is recording videos or whatever. Like those educational videos are great. I love them, but getting more of the UGC that speaks people Mm. has been working, I think, a lot better. Can I ask something, Ange, with the UGC provider that we've, we've got on, how does that work in terms of them creating content? Will they bring people in for a particular company and then just bring in the assets, say, if they did it for the company Jenny's working with, would they record something with the dog, with their product and things like that? I'm just curious yeah. how the specifics actually work right yeah yeah we've had we've had yeah UGC created and part of the brief that goes out to the creators is you have to have a dog and if you want to specify a specific type of dog 
that's what goes in the brief and then that's the people that apply. Interesting what you said there, Jenny, around like when you're looking to build a big brand and, and building those creators. I actually again, had an interview earlier for this head of creative role. He talked a little bit about that and he was saying with bigger brands, making sure you've got creators that only create for your brand and not competitors. Uh, yeah. And I'll, say, I'll share, he mentioned the um, platform aspire.io that he has worked with a lot. I'll send you the link to it, especially if you're looking to dominate a, a, a market. You don't want that same creator creating either for competitors or yeah. for other big brands because that can totally dilute the, the messaging if people are seeing it across. So that's... Yeah, um, what we found honestly is people that do that are just ridiculous in their demands. And we're like, no, <laughs> yeah. we're going to get the low tier, like people that are going to like do it for dog treats. Um, yes. Maybe a little bit coffee. of financial compensation. These yeah. other guys, this woman was like $5,000. You can use it for 30 days. It's an extra $3,000 if you want the raw stuff. And I was like, huh, screw you, dude. I'm not paying you anything you to pay for something yeah. that I get to use only for 30 days. You can just yeah. literally... Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I mean, we've paid, certainly paid people money. They're never paid to start. We're like, hey, we saw that. Can we use it? We'll send you some stuff or something like that, you know? But I don't think there's been too many where we go right up and be like, hey, we want to. But I know like one of the people that recorded for us is actually like a fairly famous dog trainer, I guess, or something in Australia. And so she might be doing other products too. And yeah, yeah, I hadn't really considered that so much, but I've noticed I don't see the ads because I'm here in yeah. California. <laughs> but James will be like, turn that one off. Someone else is using a dog on a striped pillow. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, but yeah, so those are my tips and tricks, I guess. I can't think of anything else. Gold. Oh. We're at time. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you for jumping on. And see you all in Slack. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. All right. Well, that is one of our team calls that we did here at Tier 11. This is mostly our Australian and California teams, which is actually kind of cool. Some of the media buyers that have been around for a long time, some of the smartest media buyers in the planet, as well as, like I said, our data folks and our creative side of the equation. So if you liked what you heard, leave some comments over at our YouTube channel at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. Want to know if this is the type of stuff that you'd like to see or like to hear, see and hear, I guess, on a regular basis. So let us know about that. Make sure that you do leave a rating wherever you do listen to podcasts and subscribe. Make sure you subscribe not only to the YouTube channel, but also to Perpetual Traffic here on wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me over on LinkedIn as well as Kasim on all the socials at Kasim Aslam. Go back and listen to previous episodes. And like I said, we will leave all resources and show notes that we mentioned here on today's show over at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 